You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1085 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday. And thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, please check out this podcast each and every day as your first listen, as well as subscribing on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Odyssey app, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Today's podcast is actually part two of a two-part episode with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. If you missed part one, I recommend that you listen to that first. So part one should be in your feed right now. It is episode 1084. So stop what you're doing right now. Check out check out part one, and you will hear the free-flowing conversation that Glenn and I are having. With that said, this is part two, coming to you now about another half hour as we talk about the preseason stuff to uh, look at for the Hawks this season. Schematics in particular on part two, looking at what Nate Mills will be doing in the next few weeks to install his own systems and obviously no longer the interim, but a full-time head coach and plenty more to install and plenty more time, more importantly, to actually put his stuff in and put his imprint on the franchise and all that stuff is coming momentarily. Also, a programming note, I'm actually going to be out of town for the next few days as I record. This is why I'm dropping this two-part podcast now on Wednesday in advance of the weekend. I am actually in a wedding as a groomsman for a good friend of the podcast, Robbie Cowan. We'll be married on, on Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, I will be off the grid for the most part. So unless something crazy happens, no podcast until the beginning of next week. Just as a programming note there, I try to give you guys four episodes this week. Actually, five if you include the bonus episode with Nate McMillan's audio. So still a full week of podcast content, including this two-part episode. But that is why you will not hear from me on Thursday and Friday. It's because I'm off the grid, but uh, the season's coming soon, and I'll be here uh, four or five days a week, basically from this point forward on the podcast. Also, one more note, the Hawks have an open practice that people can attend if they want to in Atlanta on Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time in Stiff Farm Arena with a talent show, the rookies to follow. So that's always a fun time. Again, I'll be out of town, but that'll be one to take in if you're a diehard Hawks fan looking to see the team. It's probably the only time you'll be able to see the team in a non-game setting for a while. So there you go on that. That's an opportunity for you if you're trying to uh, see the Hawks up close and in person in the next couple of days. All right. With all of that out of the way and with part one still on the podcast feed right now, as you're listening to this one more time, I'm sorry I to repeatedly remind you, but part one is also worth listening to. At any rate, we'll get to our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of which is Indeed. In the sports world, GMs and coaches ask questions to find the right players, and when you're hiring, you can use Indeed assessments to help you make sure that you can find quality candidates with the skills that you need. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple, just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even with the interviewing. Don't simply hope that your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment that you post a sponsored job. And with Indeed assessments, you can choose up to 135 skills tests to help you find the people that are applying to your jobs with the skills that you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than any other job site combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And you can get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit right now at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Bill Bar. 
With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good, and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty, and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein, the calorie range is 130 to 180, they only have 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and they only have 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board, they're all tasty, and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, you're 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. Changing gears, I want to ask you about some scheme stuff. So I'm going to read a quote to you. It's actually from our friend Kevin Chenard uh, via Kevin Herter on Tuesday. I'm going to read this quote to you, set the stage a little bit. This is what Kevin had to say about. Uh, the situation with regard to the preseason and all that stuff. Uh, he said, even within the first couple of hours here in the first day of training camp, already we're doing some stuff differently on both sides of the ball, and that was as expected. When he took over last year, me and Nate McMillan, it wasn't like everything changed, right, when he took over. It was kind of a gradual progression. His message kind of changed. It wasn't like we had this whole offseason, whole, this whole offensive playbook, I should say, in and did everything that we wanted to do defensively. I think there will be a lot of changes on that front this year. End quote. So, I say all that because I know even on this podcast, you and I discussed this, that the Hawks ran a lot of the same stuff they ran uh, under Lloyd, under Nate. And Nate even said that last year repeatedly, uh, even in the playoffs, crediting Pierce and the, and the staff for what they installed. And there were, there were definitely some tweaks along the way, but uh, it was not realistic to think that McMillan could sort of put in all of his stuff on the fly during the season. Now, they've had this whole offseason. Granted, it was a short one, but they still had an offseason, and they'll have this training camp and the preseason to sort of install some stuff. I said, I said a lot there, but uh, Glenn, what are they going to do? What, what are they, they going to look like? What are you looking for in, the, in preseason? Because uh, you are, you, your eyes are always on the schematic stuff, even in a way that mine are not always. So uh, what, what, are your, what are your eyes looking for in the coming days here? Yeah, I think this is the mystery box of the preseason is – um, you know, an intuitive thought is to think, you know, they had so much success uh, towards the end of the season, especially in the postseason with what they were running and, and what they were doing schematically. Um, and uh, and even though, like, Bogdanovich was you know, limited a bit physically, uh, the way that they were able to use Trey uh, doing all the kind of normal things he does to kind of attack uh, the defense and create leverage and then using Bogdanovich and Herder kind of on the – weak side to either generate either three-point shots or get them kind of attacking the middle of the defense. Um, why would they not just continue doing all of that? You know, that's, a, that's an intuitive thought. I'm asking it kind of as a rhetorical question here for us. Um, but, you know, full transparency, when there was the run-up to it, it looking like maybe they were going to move on from Pierce and the obvious um, kind of interim coach being Nate because of his experience and stuff, you know, I was like, Nate McMillan and Trey Young, well, that's a weird kind of uh, pairing, you know. Just thinking about all of uh, the f- different things that Nate has tended to emphasize schematically over the years, creating uh, shots off of the dribble, um, you know, having one of the lower you know assist percentages 
um, in in the league. And you know, we could have a debate. Um, I would think it's a mostly useless debate about whether that had more to do with the rosters that he had or his own uh, stylistic preferences and things like that. Um, but that is who he has largely been as a coach uh, over the years, you know. And one of the things that I was looking at last year is, and I think it's kind of safer to talk about now, was that Nate's postseason track record was pretty rough uh, ahead of last season. And I think he deserves so much credit yep. uh, for how he adapted last year. And he, I think he did just an absolutely phenomenal job. I don't want to sound like I'm undermining him. I think it's, but I think it's fair to ask yourself, like now that he has full opportunity to bring schematically in what it is that he wants to do. Is it more of kind of the stuff that he's traditionally run or was that more uh, reflective of what he felt like he had in the roster? How much of what they did so successfully last year carries over how much of it should be and will be just based upon the fact that Trey is this, is the um, obvious um, you know, primary engine of this offense. And he's, you know, ridiculously, good in the pick and roll but you know it's like are they as committed to that heavy of a volume of, of pick and roll based attacks and you know last the one the big change after the coaching changes they ran a ton more floppy for herder and mcdonough specifically and snell at times um what will they will they do that i mean the stuff that they ran for gallo was a lot of uh, cross screen action that created leverage coming down into the kind of the lower or mid block and then allowing a, a shooter to shoot up through the middle of the free throw line through the nail. Um, and that was kind of like the, their staple uh, set apart from their ETOs. And, you know, I'm super curious, like when I, when I watch this game on Monday, you know, is it going to be kind of that same mix of stuff or are we going to see, you know, their shooting guards kind of attacking in space and you know, creating 17 foot shots off the triple, which is kind of what Oladipo <laughs> did and Tyreek did. And, uh, you know, and Collison did kind of in Bogdanovich, uh, the other Bogdanovich, uh, in kind of the heyday in Indiana, or is it going to be more, uh, yeah, you know, high pick and roll, double drag, you know, somebody, uh, diving to the rim, the other kind of, um, either popping to the three point line or doing, you know, creating some other pin down on the perimeter or what is it all the same stuff we saw them against Nick's Sixers bucks, or is it the stuff that he was doing in Indiana, mostly with that roster that he had, does that stuff starting to show up, which would be a little bit weird for a Trey young team to me, but I'm, I'm as curious as anyone. And I think my brand is to be able to come on a podcast like this and say, this is what they're going to do. I don't know, Brad. I'm, a, I'm as curious as anybody to see how much that carries over versus how much of that stuff Nate might bring into the mix. And that's just the offense. Yeah, I, I think that we're all in that mode. And you look at it a lot more differently than I than I do, which, which I value. And it's interesting. I mean, you kind of referenced it. But a couple of things that we definitely know that changed under Nate um, you talked about the offense, and we'll save the defense for for later. Um, but they ran more plays. They called more plays. Everyone acknowledged that. They, there was a lot more, like, the, of the bench calling plays than it was just, you know, kind of free reign stuff offensively. You mentioned the floppy actions. They ran a lot of, they, they ran a lot of stuff for Bogdanovich in particular, especially when he got hot later in the season. Um, they played slower, which I think everybody knows at this point, but they, they definitely did that. And... But at the same time, and this is something that was you sort of said it, but they credited. I would say I would credit Nate for he didn't try to you know clamp down on Trey and Trey 
the Trey Nate pairing, I, I was on the same page as you. It was a, not a not a huge warning sign, but I was a little bit concerned because, because he has not had a, a player like Trey, and Nate's kind of has a reputation for um, you know being a little bit hard on guys and also you know not necessarily playing a style that Trey Young was used to playing. But the counter to that is that Nate didn't have anybody like Trey Young in his other stops. I mean, he had Brandon Roy in Portland, but that was a little, that was obviously a different era of basketball and a little bit different player, more of a big guard, etc. And then Indiana. They had some good teams, but he was not not led by you know this all world um, initiator point guard. So I think he did a good job molding to Trey. But I, I'm with you. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about that even in the last couple of days about just kind of generally they might put some new stuff in. But what that's going to be, I don't really know. I I would like to see them still use you know high pick and roll and you mentioned double drag and the stuff that has worked for a long time with this with this team and this personnel. And listen, the offense was quite good last season. Uh, even even when they were not playing all that well early in the year, the offense was still pretty good. It was the defense that kind of made the bigger jump. Um, and with Trey Young, you're kind of have a built-in good offense. I mean, you kind of have to screw it up on purpose <laughs> when you have Trey Young and John Collins. Uh, you're going to be good on offense, but uh, it's just kind of what tweaks can be can be put in there. And I'm far from um, an, an expert on the level of someone who breaks breaks stuff down, but. I'm as intrigued as you are about what they're going to put in because I think it's going to be a lot of you know similar stuff to what they were using late last year. But I'm sure there'll be some wrinkles that you'll be able to break down in, in full when you see them. But uh, also the question is like, are they going to show that stuff in preseason? Are they going to run that stuff in preseason? Because that's also the thing. Like, how much do you sort of how do you even approach the exhibition schedule? Because there there are four games, they're spread out. Do you show stuff? Like in the NBA, it's not like the NFL where you, where you just show nothing. Like that's famously the case in football, right. where you just don't want to put anything on tape. In the NBA, everybody knows everybody knows all the, all, all the plays that they're going to run. So it's not like you have to hide yeah. anything. But I'll be intrigued by that too. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, part of the preseason is I, you know, I want fans to be excited to see this team again. But is Trey going to play more than one game? I mean, I can't see him play more than two. You know, I, I don't know. Um, Honestly, I don't know. Like Nate's not a Nate's not as big into like the rest thing as some coaches <laughs> are. Like he likes to play guys. I mean, even when they uh, even when he came in, granted they were in the middle of a playoff chase and they couldn't really afford it. But he did not like he just, he did not like sort of pedal off a lot. Like he's not a uh, big. I mean, I don't know about this about this training staff, but it wouldn't stun me if Trey played more than you might think in the preseason. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah I, I was just asking the question because I I don't really know what to expect around that. And, Same. Like, if Ga- if Gallo and Lou play more than one, I'll be I guess oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised about that. I mean, Clint, Clint probably won't play at all if I had to guess, just because right. of where he is. Like all the guys coming back, we're gonna from see injury, a lot of Ja Okafor. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you'll be seeing a lot of Jalen Johnson, and you'll probably be seeing a lot of Sharif, and you'll see some Skylar Mays, and uh, it will not be indicative of what they're gonna play. But it's still, I I would hope at some point the guys who are healthy get to play together for a little while and yep. maybe you'll yep. maybe you'll see a few things i can already see your uh, your first breakdown after next monday's game about whatever <laughs> nate's put in it's i'm sure it's gonna be happening but uh i don't know it's yeah. always whether you want to overreact or underreact but uh, i'm i'm quite intrigued too i don't, I don't want to keep saying that over and over again but i just don't know what he's gonna look like yeah and then and then i and this is the thing that would probably rarely be intuitive to the average nba watcher but um, like the fact that Melvin Hunt's not back, that factors here too. You know, um, he he brought a lot of uh, sort of the the real time offensive adjustments. Uh, he brought a lot into that area. Oh yeah, of the team and the fact that there's a different makeup there, that ha- that will impact the way that they approach the offense and maybe not as much game planning. I mean, Nate will kind of put the 
plan together, the blueprint together for the season and, and such. But I mean, Melvin, uh, by all, by the way, I connected the dots anyway, uh, seemed to be really involved in sort of real time mid game adjustment, recognizing what defenses are doing and coming up with kind of counters that. And I, I, that's not to say that that, the, that person doesn't exist on, you know, on this staff, but that's a thing, you know, and, and that, that, and that will have some amount of impact to, the way that they approach uh, offensive game planning and, and all of that this year. And so that's another thing to just kind of keep in mind is like how much was Melvin bringing it to that area? Was it, am I uh, thinking it's more than that it actually was, you know, it's hard for any of us to really know, you know, but it just seems like he was pretty instrumental there. And I, I think that's a, that's a thing to kind of keep in mind here too. Before we return to myself and Glenn talking about the Hawks and some schematic stuff and defense coming up in a second, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. BetOnline is back and better than ever. All eyes right now are on the gridiron with football teams across the country back on the field starting another season. And as always, BetOnline is the number one spot for all the professional and college football action this season. With a new updated site interface, even more props, odds, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for all things football. Head to the website right now or use your mobile device sign today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That is double, yes, double, your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. That is promo code NFL100 to have that double your initial deposit. For football, basketball, boxing, and all of your favorite casino games, as well as golf, tennis, baseball, MMA, etc., don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for you right now and throughout the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. On defense, if, if it's okay to kind of switch over there oh, yeah, now. Definitely. I mean, the, I was I remember laughing last preseason because LP was running like a million different schemes in the preseason. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he was he was dropping and then he was like, trapping and then he was you know running kind of the red, which is switching one through four in the center kind of being in the back kind of orchestrating all of that and then you know, we switch in there and it was like i was just astonished like and 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 that's when it became obvious to me that lp's kind of coaching brand was to have all the defensive dials any coach could ever have and, and to try to kind of engineer his team around we can run any defense in any game depending on the opponent depending on the situation and and I and I do think that was overwhelming, and at least from a distance and such, it looked like that was too much. Um, and but but for him to go with that, like in the preseason, like blew me away, you know. Um, and Nate did bring some kind of I think some practicality on the defensive end of the court. Um, they still used a kind of a mix of things. You you know he still used some zone uh, from time to time, especially to help cover like times where Lou had to play extended minutes or Gallo, uh, for example, to play extended minutes, but. You in Indiana, you know, which is the most recent, you know, sample we have, a lot more drop, a lot more conservative stuff, um, drop, cover the rim, pack the paint, uh, close out hard on shooters, which is kind of what Bud does. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, except Bud is more of a head of the snake. You know, Bud puts that emphasis there. You know, that Nate doesn't hasn't always had there. Um, but are we going to see, you know, less switching? Are we going to see, you know, a reduced amount of variety, scheme variety? Uh, kind of across this season, is it going to be kind of more uh, basic template stuff? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see that being a great fit for this roster because I'd want the wings to kind of be freed up to kind of be impactful defenders and be disruptive defenders uh, and things like that. So the roster doesn't seem kind of engineered towards that to me. Um, but you know, again, similar question here. 
or set of questions here as they're on offense, does Nate kind of go back to doing the things that he's historically done? Or does he carry over uh, a lot of the things that he inherited and didn't have the time and space to really kind of uh, change last year into this season? Um, I, I think we'll see. Uh, I think we'll get less of an idea on defense in the preseason probably uh, just because they're not going to have – I think they're going to be playing – deep backup centers like the whole time and they're just not going to yeah. try to be very sophisticated you, you also play <laughs> you, know? you, you also obviously just play vanilla in general in the preseason and when, it, when it's when it's okafor when it's okafor and johnny hamilton out there like what are you going to do for the most part I'm, it's going to be I'm basic, right? yeah um yeah. i mean just so people understand i, I want you to explain because you'll be doing a better job than i am can you kind of illuminate what nate basically ended up doing defensively like we'll say in the playoffs like obviously it's a different situation but um what was sort of the core tenets that you saw that the hawks were doing when they had some success under nate last year what i was obviously a little bit simplified versus the the early pierce stuff but what did they sort of emphasize when they took over that you sort of that you were able to see yeah so i mean if, if i can kind of re- just quickly kind of replay the playoffs so basically um they wanted uh the, the guys on the other team that tend to generate um, offense to do things that um, weren't the area of strength. So make Randall a passer, not a shooter. If he's going to shoot, make him shoot late in the shot clock. And they were, for example, when he'd have the ball kind of uh, towards the baseline, they'd bring the big man all the way across the lane and show you know that second defender right on that strong side of the floor and see if the Knicks were capable of rotating, <laughs> rotating the basketball and finding someone who could actually dribble. And they were not. Who could actually dribble, and they were not. Uh, especially once Rose kind of wore down. Uh, they and I mean, and, and they give Nate a ton of credit. They threw so much defensive workload at Derrick Rose um, that he became le- every game he became kind of less um, uh, effective offensively, and and that's like old school stuff, <laughs> you know, right there. But they they were you know very good at that, but there's no surprise that the Knicks, uh, you know, made the move to get Kemba and added uh, Evan Fournier. They got, they have guys who can do them well, you know, at, at other positions. I'm not saying that that's going to kind of raise their offensive ceiling through the roof, but they don't have the problem that they had in that Hawks series last year where Randall is a limited passer. Um, and then they just didn't have the, even the, not, the, not even less the creation not even the ball, basic ball handling there. And against Philly, against Philly, they really wanted Embiid to be the guy the whole game and trust that come about halfway through the third quarter, he was going to run out of gas. Uh, and so they just asked Capella to bring as much muscle into that matchup. And Capella had so many moments where he looked overmatched and looked bad. The optics were really bad, but he, I mean, credit him. He kept doing what this coaching staff was asking him to do and just fight as hard physically without getting into foul trouble, without putting a beat on the free throw line 20 times and did not care how bad it looked at moments. And like I said, it looked really bad. And then, you know, and then they were like, what is Ben Simmons going to create shots? You know, if we can just chase uh, Seth Curry over screens and then, you know, we'll dare Tobias Harris to make, you know, generate 35 points. If he, if he doesn't, you know, tip your hat, that sort of stuff. And I'm not an anti Tobias guy, but that he, Tobias is a guy who's going to give you like, 17 to 21 efficient points a game in the right role, you know, not every game in a five, six, seven game series give you 32 to 35 points. So I think they felt like they could wear and be down across the game and then across the series. And then I guess the bucks, it was really trying to pack the paint, but we don't have to have a discussion about the officiating. <laughs> and just <laughs> your favorite I, thing in the world. A, I know. 
Yeah, but I mean, I mean, credit the Bucks for understanding how the officiating works in the postseason. This was the Hawks, you know, first foray going that deep. Nate's never been that deep. Nate's struggled to win series, you know, before this past uh, postseason. Um, you know, but I mean, the the Bucks just threw so much length and, and and rim pressure at you from so many different avenues. And I mean, if you go back and look at the pivotal games, it was. I mean, Drew Holiday having uh, an outlier performance offensively, like one of those. And then Middleton having two outlier quarters, that really was what swung that series. And I think if you ask Nate, and he was really honest about it, he said, we're going to have to live with Middleton and Drew. You know, if they get hot enough to really swing the game, that's just we're going to have to live with that result. Um, and so, I mean, against the Knicks, it was make the guys do things that they're not good at. And it, that was pretty easy to do with the roster construction. With Philly, it was just wear the big guy down. And against the Bucks, it was try to force the ball, try to keep Giannis off the rim, you know, try to uh, keep the offensive rebounders off the rim and make Drew and Chris shoot off the dribble, which they're not terrible at. But by comparative purposes, that's something that you have to kind of choose to live with. So, But that's in the postseason context where you have more time and space to game plan, right. which is what's going to be so interesting this year coming in is are you going to see them run – normal straight drop coverage 90% of the time and then like only mix in kind of switching late and like in the last two to three minutes of games or, you know, or whatever that is. I, again, that's not how the roster is engineered at all. Um, but is, is that what Nate's comfortable doing? And that, you know, that's the real question. I think that we're going to have answered for us at some point the season, whether that's December or January or whenever. Yeah. And, and I think that, the playoffs are so different than the regular season in general. The regular season, it's much more system-driven. Like, you're not game-planning every night. I mean, obviously, there's some stuff you can put in game-to-game, game, but it's a long season. And, you know, speaking you, you referenced Bud earlier, Bud is, you know, legendary for installing a system, using it, strengths and weaknesses, mostly strengths, but also, you know, on, on, on an occasional night, it'll look bad when you give up, you give up 23s, and it looks bad. But the system works. And Nate isn't quite as rigid as that, in his, in his past, but he's obviously been a good defensive coach. The numbers have been pretty good wherever he's been on that end of the floor, but it is very different to install your system in the regular season versus game planning series to series in the playoffs. And, you know, basically half of almost half of Nate's sample as the head coach of the Hawks was in the playoffs, um, which is crazy, but they played, you know, they played three series and that was, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what he put on film. Uh, he, he, only, he, yeah. he coached 38 games the regular season, um, a lot of which, again, he has referenced several times. They were still running what they were running before because there was, there was no time to change it. And then he coached you know, 20 playoff games, basically. So it's like, right. which one is it? I don't know. But uh, I mean, I, I will say with I am confident Nate will do a solid job defensively. He's just he's just been that guy wherever he's ever been defensively. Uh, you know, in, in yep. the past, the questions were on offense with Damon Millen. Defensively, he's kind of not always been like infallible, but someone who I think everyone understands is a good defensive basketball coach. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, the the I think the the stark difference with Nate's um, influence on the defense was that under Nate Millen, every player knows their assignment all the time with one hundred percent clarity. I mean, yeah. I'm probably exaggerating that a little bit, but that no, is you're right, his priority, and. And where, where LP, like, they try to run a lot of, like I said earlier, we don't have to rehash it again, but they try to run 
a ton of different stuff in, even in one game. And I do think that resulted in some lack of, you know, intellectual buy-in or whatever, or is that a reasonable ask of the team where Nate's priority is, you know, even more important than what schema running is, does all five players know what they're supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be 100% of the time on every single possession. And that's, that's his brand. That is his top line priority as a coach. And that's why they were so good defensively, uh, in, in the postseason, relative to what you would expect, with you know Trey playing all the minutes that he played and having a you know a, a limited Bogdanovich, who's at best an average defender, even fully healthy, and Lou um, and Gallo and everything, right? Yeah. And mixing all that. I mean, but that that's where the clarity comes from. Even Gallo, you know, who you know not the most noble guy, like he, it, when he sets up in the defensive possession, he sees what the offense is doing. He knows like in eight seconds or whenever, when that happens, I got to be here. And if I have to get going a little earlier than that average guy, then I'm going to get going a little earlier, but my job is to be here. And that's what, that's the clarity that Nate brings. And I think that'll be there the whole season that will help them. Will it be the optimal scheme for what the roster offers? You know, we'll have to kind of wait and see. Um, but you know, I'm, you know me, Brad, I'm a generally really optimistic person and I'm hoping that Nate has really adapted that what we saw in the postseason, that being um, you know geared towards you know running stuff that really suited uh, who their guards were, who their creators were, and all that sort of stuff, and then uh, running um, defensively what would accommodate in a given lineup on the floor. I hope that he kind of carries that into this regular season. I, I just think that it would be um, I wouldn't be doing like your listeners or even myself um, kind of uh, right if I didn't say, but that's not really who he's ever been up until this point. doesn't mean a person can't adapt or change or, or whatever, but that, that's just something that I think we have to kind of carry into our um, awareness as we see the beginning of the season. And I don't mean to sound pessimistic at all. I mean, this team is so fun uh, and accomplished so much last year, and I was so impressed with the job that Nate did. So I want to kind of really hit that drum really hard. Um, it's just that what I'm saying is going to be interesting to see how much there is carryover, Versus how much of the traditional stuff Nate Run has mixed in, and to see how that to see how that works out. I don't, I'm not um, kind of foreshadowing like, oh, this is going to be bad, and I'm concerned that like oh, my no. tone is suggesting that in you know, that negativity. But just that's going to be interesting basketball watching for sure. Oh yeah, and we won't know a lot of this stuff until regular season starts, and especially with, if, if Capella is limited or not out there. That changes a lot. Like he he does a lot on his own almost um, to anchor this this group to where if, if you're if you're using um, not only Gorgie, but if you're playing John John Collins at center, if you're playing Jalil Okafor, God forbid, um, defensively, you have to do things a lot differently than you have Capella out there. Um, and everybody yeah, knows and, that. And I mentioned this, and I mentioned this to Kevin too. But I mean, we talked about whether TLC or Jaw would get. You know, I, I think TLC is way ahead of Jaw on the 15th roster spot. I think he's I would hope be on the so because he's much better. <laughs> I, yeah, and I think he'll I think he'll be on the roster all the way through whatever the January 10 date at least, which is the guarantee date. Um, you know. But if some other team kind of sheds an experienced veteran big man when they cut down on, on rosters, just don't be surprised if the Hawks kind of pounce on that given, you know, or depending upon what Capella's actual injury situation is or, or I don't even want to say injury history, but health situation is. And then uh, the Kwangu uh, kind, of, kind of scenario, they may pounce on a guy if a kind of a just a solid veteran guy comes free, then, you know, that's the flexibility they have with TLC's contract not uh, fully guaranteed until January. 
Yeah, and also he's not he's not in Atlanta yet. I mean, that's not ideal for him. Uh, obviously, he's right. a, he's a professional, but uh, getting to camp late is not great. He has a, he's a visa issue that, that they talked about at media day. So we'll see how if at all that affects anything. But I, I'm with you in a vacuum. I'd much rather keep TLC than Okafor, and we're on the same page there. It's just worth noting the Capella status, uh, especially defensively, just kind of molds what you even can do defensively. They got to play differently if he's not yeah. out there. And, yeah, and then if, if Hunter misses time that too yeah. early, that's where TLC really helps. Because I mean, I don't know if people know this, but he is a big wing. He's big, uh, and and he's really like closer to what Hunter is physically than anyone else they have on the team. Uh, he's physical and stout, and he's just a big dude, and that that kind of helps. I mean, so I guess Solo gives you some of that, but um, but TLC gives you the length uh, in addition to just kind of being a big wing. So he's uh, defensively TLC is kind of in a way, a little bit of Hunter insurance, which will, which would be nice if, you know, ho- if hopefully this doesn't happen, but if Hunter has to be really eased in and then TLC could help in that area. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll obviously see there um, before I let you get out of here. If there's anything else that you want to mention that you're looking for in the preseason, because obviously a lot of the stuff in the exhibition schedule can even be like, what does Sharif look like? Or what does Jail look like? Or Skylar May's stuff? Or anything that you're looking for in particular from the next three weeks that may not shine when the season starts, but may uh, be noteworthy for now. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for me is what Cam Reddish was allowed to do on offense. <laughs> I mean, LP took the approach that he really wanted to let Cam try to do like a lot. You know, and and that was appropriate for a good stretch because it was they had mostly developmental goals, you know, and things like that. And in in the, the organization invested, re, you know, a reasonable amount, you know, a lot in, in some ways in Cam. Um, but Nate' style is is to be a little bit more templated with the uh, guys that are in the more supporting roles, you know. And so, but you know, in the preseason, does Cam kind of get an opportunity to, to run pick and rolls to kind of uh, decide for himself when to attack the defense with the dribble, or is he going to be kind of templated into doing like uh, a, li- a more limited kind of set of things? So that's the biggest thing I'm watching is Cam um, heading in. Um, and then uh, you know, the other aspect that I'm watching a lot is just, um, you know, how, how does he shift the Herder role? Herder did so much last season that I think a lot of us are expecting um, that Herder would be have like this this really fundamentally big role like he did in the postseason last year, um, but I, I don't know that that's kind of automatically the case. That Nate almost landed there, the coaching staff almost landed there by necessity. Oh yeah, in the postseason last year, and so and I know that Kevin might be a little bit limited early in the season too, so we may not really get any answer to that um, in the preseason, depending upon kind of exactly kind of how his um, opportunity to ramp up is, but. To me, I, I feel like I know what Trey brings. I know what Bogdanovich does. Bogdanovich, it seems like last year Bogdanovich made clear to the team what he wanted to, to, to do and not do. And I, th- I say that as a constructive thing that he did mostly. <laughs> is I understand it. Not as like, I don't do that and that. No, like, no, hey, guys, this is how I want to help the team or whatever. And then all the other, like Hunter, like Hunter can do what his body will allow him to do in my mind. And that's, and then, you know, so maybe the third is Collins. You know, does, is he... Uh, getting any opportunity to work in the post? To, is he uh, being set up to function in a, in a short role situation that he hasn't been good enough in in prior seasons? Do they are they continuing to try to kind of grow his game? So for me, it's the the when I'll sit on the edge of my seat is when Cam is in what he's doing on offense, 
The second one is if Herder, when, if, depending on how much Herder can play, you know, how central is his role offensively, especially? And the last one is, I, I think it's always been a curiosity, is what is the ideal offensive role for JC to kind of maximize um, what skill he does have and doesn't have? And then you kind of bring the contract situation in, and it's like, is there any kind of pressure applied to, um, you know, feature JC in some ways at times? So th- th- those are the things that I'm, I'm watching the most, apart from just my natural curiosities around what is the scheme makeup that we're going to see from Nate McMillan being in charge from day one of the season. I think we're really aligned on all of this. I mean, I, I think especially even trying to take off my, you know, my working hat and put on my, you know, more you know regular observer hat i think clearly the rookies are of intrigue the reason because that's just this is an opportunity to see them play and cam i think cam screams uh someone to watch uh, not only because he hasn't played a lot of basketball in the last year but also just because you know his future his role on the team uh you know his offensive skill packages all that stuff like and all and you know frankly when cam looks good he always looks great uh, it's just when he's struggling, it, may, it it might get off the rails a little bit. So how he's playing, how he's approaching it is huge. And uh, with Collins, I think that um, I just have a hard time thinking we're gonna, we're going to learn too much in the in the preseason just because I can't imagine he's going to play that much. I mean, hopefully he won't. Honestly, in my opinion, just right. put JC in bubble wrap for the most part because I've kind of always said like he only has one speed. He doesn't really play. Mm-hmm like exhibition style basketball. Like he's even, I remember in, uh, I remember distinctively watching a game at Georgia tech when they were still doing the renovation of, uh, of state farm arena and thinking that they got to get John off the floor because he is the only one that is just like busting it in the third quarter late in a preseason game. It's like, he's going to get somebody hurt or get himself hurt because he just playing so hard. Nobody else is. Um, And obviously that's a little bit overstating it, but uh, I would be careful with obviously with Trey and with John as the two uh, right now, knock on wood, like fully healthy guys that you're, are your core pieces. Uh, just put those guys away for a while, and we'll see you on October 21st, basically. <laughs> for for yeah, for sure. I you know I had almost forgotten about that, but you you telling that story, I I recall that now too. And it's like chill, you know. He can't. We have a whole and I, season. I love him. I love that. I love that about John. Always like he yes, he cannot same. turn it off. He he will play hard. He will fly around. He will jump as high as he can and he'll play hard and that's great i mean you want you want that you want guys that will like bust it like that but uh hopefully he doesn't uh, take it too far now that he's uh you know more established at this point in time so um for sure yeah i mean if there's, unless there's anything else that you want to add i kept you for way way too long and i appreciate all the time glenn so if you if, if you want if you add anything feel free to do that and if not plug everything you got going on because uh, i know you're busy in the basketball world even though you have a full-time other job as well yeah, I mean, you know, um, all my my writing outlet, as you know, uh, Brad is is Peachtree Hoops. Uh, Zach hasn't um, decided to run me off yet. Uh, he's decided to, to keep me value. I kill him. <laughs> I, I kill Zach if you did that. So there you go. Yeah, I, I'm I'm joking. I love Zach, and Zach Zach's doing a great job. So you know, all you know, got to show Zach a little bit of love. As as much fun as he and I have, kind of going at each other in a very loving <laughs> uh, kind of kind of way. Um, he, he's doing just such a great job. So, you know, uh, want to shout him out there, but that, that's where my writing will be. Um, uh, you know, I, I'll, you know, do, um, kind of post game breakdowns, uh, about once a week, maybe it's kind of typical for me. Um, but you know, throughout the season, I'll grab, you know, some things and, and do kind of, you know, a 20 minute video where I do voiceover and stuff like that and try to get into a little bit more depth. That's, that's there, um, on Twitter, 
uh, I'll, I try to tweet during the game any sort of, especially schematic observations and things like that. I, I try to mix in a little bit of fun and humor now and then. Um, uh, but then, like, also, you know, Kevin's been really great about bringing me into the ATL 29 and kind of having me be a, a, a pretty consistent uh, presence uh, there. I, I think the plan in, uh, over there is that uh, I might be able to kind of step in and, and free Kevin up from having to kind of do all of the uh, uh, behind-the-scenes work there as much as my schedule might allow. So it might be some uh, a fun season uh, where um, I might be able to bring, um, you know, my own kind of creative slant. Uh, yeah, there. Um, love to hear that. That's you know. Good. Yeah, so you know, you might get a two-hour uh, pod where it's me and Andrew screaming at each other. Uh, <laughs> also known as the, uh, the Peace Trip Slack channel, basically every day. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I, I, and I love Andrew to death too. It's this is all in fun. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the season. I, I'm. It's interesting where ex- fan the fan base expectations seem to be. Um, you know. I think it helps a little bit that Milwaukee is the you know reigning champion and Brooklyn has so much star power. We'll not get into the the, the drama from the last few days going on up there. Uh, and then you know the, it's interesting that the other team kind of that's been in the mix up there. You know what's feeling like to have been Simmons, but um, you know Hawks are coming off of a, a conference finals, uh, you know, uh, you know appearance where it's it's hard to know what the likelihood is of them getting back. And I think that sets up for a fun season. There's they're not the underdog kind of they're not in the bottom half of the conference kind of trying to work their way up. They're you know I think you know, clearly in the top half of the conference. But, you know, how likely are they to play in the second round? If, and if they can get there, you know, what are their odds to kind of make a repeat appearance? And um, and you know, and the big picture zooming kind of way out is, you know, what does it look like to continue building this team towards uh, being a contender? Maybe at some point not too far down the road. I know some fans think that's what they are right now. And that's that's fine for a, kind of a fan perspective. Um, but there's still there's some more building and development to kind of get them there. So, you know, what do they make of this season, of the opportunity this season presents uh, in and of itself? Uh, I think that's mostly internal improvement by the young guys and continuing to let Nate kind of put his fingerprints on this team. I think it's going to be just a load of fun uh, to kind of kind of see how that goes, even as curious as I think the Nate aspect could be. I'm not predicting issues there, but it's just it's just going to be interesting to see, see how that goes. But it should be another really fun season. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's really interesting to talk about like where the baseline projections are on the Hawks this year, and even Trey kind of mentioned, and I think he was right. Like there hasn't been a lot of talk nationally about the Hawks repeating what they did. I mean, they're always acknowledged in a way that they weren't always before because they just kind of have to be now. But it's a uh, I was expecting actually a little bit more of uh, what I would probably describe as irrational um, people being too high on the Hawks. Um, locally and nationally, and there's always a little bit of that, but I think because of what you said, because Brooklyn is so loaded and because Milwaukee just won the championship, there's less people just, all right, Hawks are definitely going to win the East. Like, no one's really doing that, which I I do have an an appreciation for, and honestly, I find myself higher than the baseline on the Hawks. I think they're going to be good this year. I think I picked them for the over on Nick Duggan's podcast and all that stuff, so we're all excited. I'm looking forward to it. This 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 is a good team. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, they're they got deep, they're talented, the, the, all that The complementary pieces around Trey, Clint quarterbacking the defense. I mean, this this is a legitimately good team. What's that ceiling? That's going to be the fun part to, to, to kind of um, follow this year, I think. 
yeah, they're uh, going to be very, very interesting to watch in a number of ways. And I'm sure we'll talk about all of them between you and I and other places. But Glenn, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, my friend. Everybody should be following you at Willis underscore Glenn, I believe is the correct uh, Twitter handle for you. That's right. That's right. correct. Nailed it. Uh, and also ATL on 29, Peachtree Hoops, where I am still a reader, even not an editor anymore, and all that fun stuff. And then also subscribe to this podcast. And again, I cannot recommend Glenn's work enough. And thank you again, sir, for joining me. As for everybody else, we'll see you next time.